to Dan. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashkano, joined, as always, by the original Long Island Iced Z himself, Benny Scala. Benny, before we start, a special birthday shout-out to the handsome one himself, Jimmy Valiant. I heard that was a great party this weekend. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I was just going to say, Dan, we're coming off a mixed bag of wrestling this weekend. We started up on Saturday with uh, Slobberfest, I mean uh, SummerSlam, actually, which, at least in my humble opinion, was a head-on collision. But then Sunday was the birthday of our dear friend and sponsor, Jimmy Valiant, and a great time was had by all at uh, Boogie's Wrestling Camp in beautiful scenic Shawsville, Virginia. Absolutely. Also, the uh, uh, I'm wearing one of the shirts today. We had a uh, AW collision this weekend, saw Ricky Steamboat as a special guest referee, and an after event I recommend everyone look up to on YouTube uh, where FTR and CM Punk gave a special shout out to Dennis Condry for an anniversary and just a recognition of the Midnight Express, greatest tag, one of the greatest tag teams in history. So I thought that was really nice of them yeah. to do that. Um, but Benny, the show tonight, we we always talk about our tagline is celebrating wrestling's storied past. But the other half of that tagline is looking forward to wrestling's future. And wrestling's future is really bright with our next guest. So I want to tell everybody who's joining us today. Well, Dan, rumor has it that our guest is currently building a 10,000-square-foot house in her hometown of Roanoke, Virginia. Now, my guess is that she'll need about 9,800 square feet of it just to display all the wrestling awards and titles she either has won or will win in the future. And speaking of Boogie's Wrestling Camp, like we just said, I can normally see our guest beating people up there on most Sunday afternoons. But what a delightful change just to be able to sit with her and visit and chat. And it's my absolute pleasure to introduce the current i hope i get this right wrestling all-star promotions uh women's champion and bwc international champion the keeper sam street sam welcome to dan and benny in the ring thank you so much that was an awesome intro that was that was really cool it's all true though fair i'm, I'm not gonna dispute it there you go <laughs> idle part uh-oh look at that <laughs> there was, you go already beautiful that's funny well sam we always start with the same question and obviously you know your connection to a lot of our past guests is going to get pretty prevalent as the interview goes on but um i want to start with the same question we do with everybody because the answers are always different they're always interesting when did the wrestling bug bite you who got you interested in wrestling purely from a fan perspective my dad my dad has been a wrestling fan since he was little uh and growing up i knew I knew kind of what it was, but I didn't really have any interest in it. And then one day I was, I think like 11 or 12 and I was just with my dad and wrestling was on the TV. And for the first time it caught my attention. And I remember so distinctly, it was a video package for Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. And it was their whole story about how they met and grew up and then started their rivalry and all that. 
And I just remember the video package played and then the match played and that was it from there. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I need more of it. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, for for those, I'm sorry, a quick expansion for those listening, the the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn rivalry, while it goes back to, you know, Kevin Steen and Generico and Ring of Honor many years, the the idea that Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, especially they're they're starting NXT together is a relatively new new grasp at wrestling. So, you know, you're uh, uh, have you looked back at some of the older stuff or have you just been sticking with the new the new wrestling since you since you hooked up? Oh, I I love wrestling in general. I've watched all of, I've watched old stuff, new stuff. That's just where I got started. And, you know, I kind of like once I saw that and I kind of stuck with like mainstream for a little bit until I kind of figured out what this wrestling thing was. And then once I started to hear about all these legends, then I went back and started watching stuff. And I think my favorite like era of wrestling besides like Triple H NXT is like Monday Nitro. That's like a, a sweet spot for me. Wow. Yeah. So, Sam, when did you decide that you were actually going to that, that you wanted to make this your vocation? Well, that was. Maybe back in. So I started training back in October, um, but before that, I was in college. I was a college soccer player and I started thinking about wanting to do wrestling like back when I even started started high school. And I was like, I don't know when it'll be, but I have to get into it at some point. And so, you know, I I went through high school and then into college playing soccer. And then at one point I was like, I can't keep putting this off. I want to do it now. So stop playing soccer to pursue a new sport. And it's genuinely the best decision I ever made. Nice. Well, you mentioned soccer. I mean, you have a great athletic background. You former Division Two NCAA goalkeeper. Uh, winning, correct me if I'm wrong, both the NCAA Mountain East Conference That's and right. Atlantic Regional Championships. Yep. I mean, yeah. I, I, looking at that, I, we've seen transitions with football, with players, you know, people like The Rock and Goldberg and Ron Simmons, uh, you know, and then obviously wrestlers, Kurt Angle, uh, among others. I've never seen soccer. I can't imagine soccer and wrestling have much in common or the discipline of um, goalkeeping transitioning over. But I can imagine that just the 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 athletic requirements of college athletes greatly, greatly helped in learning, becoming a professional wrestler. Am am I correct here? Did did your athletic background help? A thousand percent. And believe it or not, I learned very quickly. There's way more similarities between goalkeeping and professional wrestling than I expected. I think, like, oh, first of all, I, I always make the joke that, it, you know, in wrestling, we're known for taking bumps. And goalkeeping is the one position in soccer where you're known for taking bumps. Right. Mm-hmm. Down eventually. Um, but I think the main thing is, like, the footwork that's required in soccer translates so perfectly to wrestling, especially because I'm not I'm not six feet tall. So, Technical athleticism like footwork translated perfectly for me. Nice. So, Sam, why BWC? I mean, there's a ton of wrestling schools out there. Why did you choose Boogie's Wrestling Camp? Well, I I, I did the classic. I came home from college and I just Googled wrestling schools near me. And I found some people on Facebook that I, I had messaged and I was like, hey, how do I get into you know wrestling school and this and that? And he called one of the guys called me and was like, you need to get up to Boogie's immediately. It's the place to be. You're going to learn so much. 
And so the next, the next Sunday I went up there and watched and from the, from the moment you get there and, and you see all the stuff on the walls and the, and the hall of fame and everything, I just knew that that's where I was supposed to be. It's truly, and I always say, you know, when I post on Facebook that it's a family there. It's not just a wrestling school. It truly is a family. You, the first, the, the minute I walked through the, the doors there, I felt like I was a part of it. And I, I, I imagine you felt quite the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's crazy, too, how, you know, you hear all the time from different jobs, teams, things like that. Oh, we're a family here. And so, like, I kind of got numb to that saying. It's a cliche I, normally, right? right? Yeah. But then I came up there and everybody genuinely embraced me. And anytime I struggle with learning to do something or, like, I get overcome with, like, the emotions of the sport in general, like, there's no judgment. And I always come out feeling like a better athlete. And it was funny because the first day I went up there, I kind of got this this sign almost that that's where I was supposed to be. The class at Boogies that I'm in right now is the 31st graduating class. And the number that I played under for most of my soccer career was 31. Wow. So instantly I just knew I'm doing it. Almost so perfect. You, you said yeah. your dad was a, a you know, a, or is a big wrestling fan. What does he think of Jimmy? And like, what did you what did you think of Jimmy the first time you met him? Oh, gosh. So, well, the first time I met Jimmy, he he hugged me and he he asked me, you know, a little bit about myself. I started telling him and he was like, you know, just the most welcoming person I've ever met. You can just tell, like, when somebody's got that heart of gold and he does. Yeah. Yeah. My dad. (laughs) It's funny because it was actually I hadn't been training at Boogie's Long and my parents it was Christmas Eve and we were all shopping in different places. My parents send me a selfie from the FYE at Valley View Mall. And it was a selfie of my mom and my dad with Boogie and Captain Joe. And I got the photo on my phone and I genuinely jumped because I it just out of nowhere, no context. I just get this selfie with them. And they were like, he's great. We told him who we were and he was super welcoming and sweet. So they love him, too. <laughs> you cannot love Boogie. Yeah, right. For sure. For sure. I mean, not just the not just the charisma, but I mean, just had a just had another birthday and still sharp as attack, pulling stories from 60 years ago, like he's telling you something that happened this weekend. Mm-hmm. It, it's crazy. His stories are just you hang on every word he says. It's crazy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. We, we've talked a lot about. To, to people about their training and their time in the business. I don't think we've ever really asked our guests this. You, you said you felt it felt right with the, the numbers lining up, but when did you start to feel like you were getting it? Very recently. I'm not going to lie. It's been, oh, wow. I, I just started training in October. I had my first match ever four months ago on my 20th birthday in March. And so like, I haven't even been working shows that long. And I remember my first show distinctly beforehand. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but it went, it went great. And then a couple weeks ago, I, I think it was my first title defense for my Wasp Women's Championship. I came back through the curtain and I was like, okay, I, I think I'm starting to get the hang of this. And ever since then, I've been like gaining momentum. And now I'm kind of to the point where like, I feel really comfortable doing this. Sam, was there, was there anything Anything that you you picked up quicker than others? The footwork. 
the footwork came pretty easily for me. And within my first month of training, I had people at Boogie saying, saying to me that I was getting the footwork really easily and that it, it just looked solid straight off the bat. Um, but, you know, like I said, that, that just translated uh, from my sport. Sam, there's got to be somebody listening. I'm sure there's going to be at least one or two people, maybe even more listening that are considering a career in professional wrestling. Tell them why they should choose BWC. I mean, we touched on it a couple times, but genuinely, I know for a fact there's not a single place in the world like it. And you will not find another place where people are accepting of you, no matter where you are at, skill-wise, personally, in your career, in your life. I've never met a more supportive group of people anywhere. I've played on a lot of teams, gone to a variety of schools. I've never found a group of people that are so invested in you improving and there's never going to be another place like it i have to add something too because you know i've been there many times since i i came here to virginia a couple of months ago and you know i'll I'll usually be there i'll I'll get there about 10 30 just because i need to get a parking spot Mm -hmm. and i usually park right in front of captain joe and but at 10 30 there's already you know wrestlers there in the in the ring actually helping clean up camp and i thought you know Wrestling is very competitive, but I was amazed at how everybody helps everybody else, you know, with the drills. And I mean, it's just it's absolutely amazing how everybody there helps each other out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think just coming from like, you know, rigorous sports background, I didn't really expect that. I expected it to just be like very just like straightforward, succeed or don't. But it's it's quite the opposite. You know, people that you know, you've never met before, want to take the time to break down the drills for you and really help you understand what you're doing and master it rather than just getting it right once. Right. It's perfect, honestly. Well, you you talk about the no school like it, other than the BWC founded by our good friend, obviously, Jimmy Valiant. He's been on the show numerous times. We've had so many. We can't. I don't think, Benny, I don't think we could count the number of stories we've had from people who have either trained there, worked there, gone through there, or knew Jimmy in some way that didn't have a good thing to say about the BWC. But, Sam, you've also spent some time at the School of Morton. And to say Jimmy Valiant and Ricky Morton are absolute legends, I mean, that's like saying Benny wears colorful shirts. I mean, it's just... It goes without saying, right, Benny? Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, so there's really no disputing either. Uh, I was hoping you could talk a little bit because he was always one of my favorites when I was young. If you could talk a little about about Ricky Morton and the influence he had on your career. Yeah. So I've I've had the opportunity to meet him twice. Um, the first time I met him was I think about two months back at the Paul Morton Cup. Uh, I was fortunate enough to actually be in in that match. And beforehand, he came in and he took the time to, you know, come around, shake everybody's hand. But then when the match is beforehand, because the actual match for the cup was the last thing on the show. There were a bunch of matches before that. And I was sitting in the back and he came and sat next to me and was talking to me through all these matches. And he would he would, you know, break down spots in the match as it was happening, just talking to me. And say things like, you know, how he did this. That was fantastic. How he did this. Not as great. Um, and then he would ask me questions about my style and whatnot. And what I noticed about him was that he really takes the time to invest in people and help 
us understand the little nuances of wrestling that not everybody gets. Are the two schools similar? I mean, how, how are they similar and how are they different? So they're similar in their general, I don't know if this makes sense, but like in their general vibe, you walk into both and you know you're standing in history and it's this same feeling of utter privilege that I have to be able to be in both. But they're very different in the same in the same sense because the rosters are very different. Um, and, it, you know, the general workings of show days, for example, are very different. Um, you, you know, at SOM, it's very based around the TV aspect. We work towards a camera. We work towards an audience. Um, and, you know, behind the ring at SOM, there's not an audience. It's just one sided. Um, and at BWC, it's we almost embrace the fact that we're all learning and it's a 360 effect for us at BWC. So I think there's there are similarities in the sense of the vibe, but in the operations, I think they're a little bit different. All right. So well, let me, Sam, oh, go ahead, Benny. I'm sorry. You, no, you go ahead, Dan. I was going to say um, both Jimmy Valiant with the Valiant Brothers and Ricky Morton with the Rock and Roll Express are just legendary. I mean, two of the, the greatest tag teams in Absolutely. the history of wrestling. Um, I was wondering if, if you've noticed working with either or both of them, I should say, if the tag team background helped with any of the in-ring training. Because a lot of you, you see it, anybody that watches wrestling, just because you're a good wrestler or you know your way around a ring doesn't mean you can succeed in a tag team setting. It really takes that extra level. And I was wondering if you could kind of expand on whether or not the tag team training and experience that either of them had kind of played into the lessons you learned from them. A hundred percent. And honestly, I don't think I had actually thought about this in this sense, but now that I think about it a hundred percent, and I think it's two-sided. Number one, the fluidity that a good tag team has to have in order to, number one, isolate an opponent and cut the ring in half, but also be able to tag in and out. The fluidity has to be perfect. And so I think both Jimmy and Ricky have that about them. The, the no wasted motion idea, the necessity for being aware of what's happening in the ring at all times. But then on the other side, in tag team matches, there are times when you are outside the ring and they know how to use those moments very wisely in the sense of getting the audience involved um, and it also just preparing for what your opponents are going to do by being able to watch them and figure out their strategy. So in the sense of the fluidity and the crowd interaction, it's completely different coming from tag team wrestlers than it is just from singles competitors. So Sam, we, we, I mentioned earlier, you just won the BWC International Championship and, and as well as the WASP Women's Championship. But you're, Sam Street is constantly on the highway. Uh, talk about the other promotions you wrestle for. And are there any more titles that you're currently chasing? So I am always on the lookout for a new title. Um, I wrestle for quite a few other promotions. Um, most, I have a few that I wrestle for the most. Obviously, you know, BWC, SOM, um, Wasp, where I hold my title. But I also wrestle for Pure Pro Wrestling. Uh, in Virginia, North Carolina. 
I wrestle for All-Star Championship Wrestling. Uh, and most recently, I made a debut for Ring Wars Carolina. And I happen to know that they have a women's champion, Audrey Allen. And I've won both of my matches so far at Ring Wars. So to say that, you know, I've got my eye on her title is a bit of an understatement. <laughs> So you're, uh, I mean, you're pretty much all throughout the mid, mid Atlantic. I mean, I, Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia. Have you wrestled in West Virginia? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think those are the four that I've been to so far. Okay. But yeah, it, it's an it's an amazing scene because there are areas that feel very new and modern and you know full of young talent, but then there's also the side of all these promotions that feels very old school Southern wrestling, almost territory like. And so it's such a fun dynamic mixing the two uh, that the Mid-Atlantic has. I love it. You know, I'm really coming from Florida. And, you know, there's a lot of indie wrestling in Florida. I had no idea as, as to the amount of indie wrestling around here. And I'm, I'm just astounded when, uh, you know, me and Hunter go back and forth via Messenger. And every week he'll give me a send me all the posters of all the, the cards around the area. Just amazing how many how many good cards there are out there every weekend. Yeah. It, it's incredible. And before I got into this, I didn't even know there was wrestling anywhere near here. Uh, you know, I would have gone and watched all the time, but I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to see good wrestling, you don't have to drive too far. No, 100 percent. 100 percent. It's great. And it's more of a choice of which one you're going to go to out of the ones that are available. Yeah. So, Sam, your finishing maneuver is the dead end, which I love the name of that. That's great. Uh, it's your version of the Shining Wizard. And I was actually there when you used it to defeat that that nasty Baron Victor Kraut <laughs> to uh, capture the BWC International Championship. Yep. What what made you decide on that particular finisher? Well, I wanted something that I could kind of throw in out of nowhere. You know, I didn't want there to have to be some massive setup for it because with a finisher, you want to be able to use it whenever you see an opening. But also, I think I, I led my search for a finisher off of my background in soccer obviously you know kicks that type of thing it comes very naturally to me at this point and so you know through experimenting through tape study and all this i actually saw tegan knox's shining wizard because the original shining wizard you end flipping over but with her shining wizard she just goes straight in and it's almost claymore like but as a knee instead of a kick and i loved it and once i tried it i instantly knew it's what i had to use did the soccer background kind of influence you to want to do more a kick-based offense? Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. <laughs> I'm constantly throwing kicks, taking out a leg, hitting a knee. Absolutely. That's where, that's where the majority of my power comes from. Well, you know, you, you mentioned the Claymore, uh, obviously they've, this, you know, Drew McIntyre, current wrestler. You talked about getting into it with Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, um, I assume you're a fan of the current product outside of, of Zane and Owens that you talked about earlier. Do you have any current favorite wrestlers? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, I think at this point I have a general just appreciation for wrestling as a sport that I didn't have before I got into it. Um, but pretty much as long as I can remember my favorite wrestler ever, any era has been AJ Styles. The way that he mixes athleticism with style is as close to perfect as I think you can get. Um, 
you know, going back further, big Ricky Steamboat fan. I just think that he mixes the the fluidity with the style that I love. Um, and I mean, even nowadays, you know, love Rhea Ripley, Becky Lynch, you know, um, Mercedes, all of them. I love women's wrestling where it's at now because we're able to be athletes. You know, when I saw you do an arm drag at camp, I thought like, man, that's like a Ricky Steam, Steamboat arm drag. Now it makes sense that because he was the master of the deep arm drag. Oh, yeah. 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 He 100 percent. Once I once I saw him do an arm drag, it was just decided before I even started training. I'm going to do arm drags. And I do. You know, and I was going to ask you, like, do you did you pattern your style after anybody? But I have to say, after watching you week after week, that your style is it's it's a it's pretty unique. Yeah. I Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, I pick up pieces here and there but um you you know you mentioned not a lot of people get into wrestling from soccer and I think I've kind of had to find a way to mix the wrestling style that I like with my background in order to maximize my ability so I've kind of had to come up with like a unique combination of moves all right I mean you know uh they just recently had, well, recently a few, you know, a few months back, the the Ricky Steamboat's final match, the the last was the last ride of the Dragon. Uh, actually, funny, one of the uh, preliminary events at that was the Boogie Invitational, which got you know Jimmy Steam, Jimmy Valiant get a huge reaction. But this is uh, almost 40 years after I'd seen Ricky Steamboat wrestle for the first time, and his arm drags were still gorgeous. I mean, just like I always joke that Ricky Morton still has the best mullet in the business. I yep. mean, it's been decades and <laughs> Ricky Steamboat still has the best arm drag I've ever seen. A hundred percent. It's just, it's beautiful. And I, I want my arm drag to get to Ricky Steamboat level. I would love for that to happen. So is it possible you'll, you'll incorporate the Pele kick from AJ Styles into your repertoire? You I know, I could absolutely see that happening. That is something that I would love to learn how to do. Pele is, I'm going to say, the greatest soccer player of Pele is the god of soccer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, as a kid watching him at the New York Generals. Yeah. Yeah, he's incredible. So, to you know, it literally is a move that mixes both. So that would be incredible. So many young wrestlers can do it in the ring, but I, I think the hardest thing would be to, to to master a promo and you seem to have even adapted that very very quickly you know your promos are intense but they come across as very sincere is that something that you've had to work on or has it just come natural to you both um i think i i'm a long-winded person naturally i can talk for forever and even my first day at camp they were like okay cut a promo and i was able to talk but there a certain fine tuning that had to happen. And I think the reason that my promos come off natural is because I have no idea what I'm going to say until I start saying it. I think the best promos happen when you're just allowed to say what's on your mind. No argument there. Just right. just in comparison, normally, you know, we write out these questions and I, I we'll come up with about 15 questions and when Boogie's on, uh, I, we've never gotten past question three. You, know, yep. you mentioned you mentioned long-winded. You know, right. Boogie's still answering question three, and is already like an hour into our podcast. 
But I agree with you. I think sincerity, because that, that you don't want to sound like you're reading off a script or covering bullet points. You want to sound like you're, you're, you're speaking from the heart. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know the point that I need to get across in things and whether it's a podcast interview, promo, whatever, I never have any idea what I'm going to say and it tends to work out. So I just go. One of the big criticisms of the modern product is the overly scripted promos. That was actually when NXT was still a relatively newer development process. They had uh, like Dusty Rhodes and other people in there working on promo class, which a lot of the old timers thought was kind of it's just those words together, almost an oxymoron, you know, promo class. And you saw it, Benny. We talked about it. Uh, I believe it was what two years ago now. WrestleMania was in Tampa, and they had a rain delay, yeah. and it was about 45 minutes where they they couldn't because it's an open air arena. They couldn't wrestle, and they were cutting to different backstage interviews and segments. And you saw people like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and some of these guys that were just you know, you know, bam, 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 talking, talking, talking. And then it would cut to someone, you know, some of the younger talent, and it's like. Uh, yeah, I, I I wrestle good. Like I and you could tell that without a script, that nobody could shoot from the hip that that didn't have that older style. Sam, I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that a little bit. Like you said that that it has to feel authentic, it has to feel emotional. Uh, who was it, Benny, that said the, the the best wrestler is just you turned up to eleven? Like, yep. you know, um, is there? Yes, yes there's Matt. there's a go ahead. It was Cornette, wasn't Jim Cornette? Yeah, there's there's a. Uh, Speaking of good promos, there's a um, uh, kind of a nature to it. You know, do you work better from just if, if I'm in the back? Hey, Sam, you're going to go out there and you got five minutes hype up your match. Or is it, hey, you got five minutes. I want you to talk about your opponent, where you are and, and do a plug for whatever. Like, do you work the, from the bullet points better? Is it just go out there and talk? How, how does that work for you in, in, in your mind? I think for me, if I have to try to memorize a bunch of stuff that I'm going to say, I'm going to be stressed that I'm going to forget it. And the stress is going to make me forget it. And it's going to sound like I'm reading my own thoughts. But, and, and you mentioned the rain delay. I loved that rain delay so much because it taught me the concept that I understand now about promos, because you could tell at the time and you knew because of the rain delay, none of that was planned. And it's no secret to wrestling fans that a lot of promos, like you said, promo class and things like that. A lot of it's written. I think, the best promo classes teach you how to just be comfortable talking. And I'm lucky enough to kind of have that naturally. I'm comfortable talking. I know the points that I need to get across. And so if somebody hands me a microphone and they just say, go out there and get X point across, get the point across that, you know, you know, this is why this, or this is the match for that, whatever I can do it. But I struggle very much when it is, Here's exactly what you need to say, because it doesn't sound like me. And I think the basis of a promo is you explaining why you like wrestling in the current scenario you're in. And that does passion doesn't require it to be written out ahead of time. That's you know, Benny, we we've seen a few times shared through through the years on the on the page people with pictures where, you know, in the age of, of advanced digital photography with how good cameras are now, you'll see people in the ring cutting a promo and you could see on their arms, like there's, there's little notes written on their forearm or there's a little sticky on the base of the microphone with some words on it. 
You know, um, but it's funny, Benny, you, you, you corrected me earlier with, with Jim Cornette talking about the uh, the promos, because Sam, at, at that, if you noticed that that rain delay, it was your your Owens and Zane and Samoa Joe. It was the the Ring of Honor old, you know, the, the early day, the people that would have trained under the mentality of non-scripted promos that were able to, to kind of hold their own. And I'm curious, you talk about, because I, I want you to expand on that, you just said, something that really stuck out where you said it would sound like you're reading your own thoughts. If you were to be put in a situation like an NXT or somewhere, you know, where, Hey, Sam, here's exactly what you have to say. And basically they hand you a script. How do you go about presenting that naturally without sounding like you're reading your own thoughts? So I, those people that you mentioned, the, the Kevin Owens, Sammy Zayn, Samoa Joe, they started in the Ring of Honors, the indie scene, where you do just have to say whatever comes out. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of promos that you cut. And then they get put into an NXT situation where they have to learn how to recite written material. And it sounds very different to a fan, to a professional. It sounds different. But I think there's value in both. I think that's why there's different presentations of wrestling across companies, you know, different styles of wrestling in general. So there's value to both. But I think learning how to do it when it's written for you is being able to change your cadence. And it's very relevant right now to mention an L.A. Knight. His cadence, in my opinion, is what makes him so popular. The words that the words that he says and the promos that he cuts, there's nothing overly revolutionary about the words that he's not at all. Right. It's the way that he presents the information, the pauses that he takes, the expressions he puts with it and the emphasis that he puts on certain words in that line of words that makes them matter. You know, anybody can recite words given to them, but I think it makes the best professionals when you can make every single word count you know it's funny dan i was gonna say despite the fact that you know i, I thought SummerSlam was a train wreck the one the one thing i liked most of all was la night went into battle royale you know it's it's funny because if you watch the event and sam i don't know if you watched SummerSlam over the weekend <coughs> excuse me that that battle royal slim jim by the way back for the for the first time in years, signing a sponsorship with the WWE, so it was nice to see some of the old Macho Man clips. Um, although Benny, they I don't know if you've seen the new one or not, but they have L.A. Knight is the new Slim Jim spokesman doing the Macho Man role. So I think that's great. But that battle royal was, for all intents and purposes, meaningless. There was no titles on the line. There was no. no. It was it was a simply bragging rights, and him winning was the was probably the loudest pop of the night. Just a, a middle time-wasting battle royal to get a few people a SummerSlam payday and and people reacted like he just won the title yeah it was one of the two i mean i i like that and i i liked the end of the cody brock match yeah. even though i didn't think the match was believable per se i mean I, cody rose has no business beating brock lesnar but i mean i it was a good it was a great match and i i liked the you know the 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 embrace afterwards and totally unscripted i'm sure Mm-hmm. But it, I, th- I thought that that was great. But L.A. Knight was winning was the, the the highlight of the night for me. No, absolutely. 
Yeah. Sam, going back to, to your interview, we, I, I don't want this to sound like just a standard job interview question, but you have such a bright future. So where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? I mean, I think in this case, it's actually a good question. So realistically, how far do you want to take this? So let me, let me just say this. I, I made my professional debut, like I said, a little over four months ago. And I'm, I'm 20 now. And when I, when I first started training, I had no idea that at 20, I would be sitting here double champion working every weekend. I had no idea. So I would almost dare to say I have no idea where I'm going to be in five years, but I know that there will be more titles. I I will go ahead and say that right now. I will capture many more titles in the next five years. And every chance that I get to advance myself, I'm going to take it. I had what a lot of people would consider to be the stereotypical golden opportunity as a college athlete. And I retired from that to take everything that I have and invest it into this sport. So I know it's a commonly used phrase in wrestling nowadays, but I really am all in on this because this is, this is something that I know I'm supposed to be doing. So I don't know exactly how far I'm going, but I'm going to give it everything I have. Okay. So Sam, I have to ask you this. You are, you seem like a, I mean, not the same. You are a very, very nice person, and you're the the ultimate baby face so far. But maybe I'm a bad person, but I could easily see you turning heel. No. Am I wrong in that? You know, I get I get that every single weekend. People say that to me every single time, and ultimately, no, I that that's not something that I see happening for me. I really don't. I. There are a lot of people that can play both sides of, of of the ring very well. For me, I think wrestling isn't just something that I do. I have my my ethos behind it. And so I'm not just doing it for this purpose. I have a lot of photos that I've posted and shared that other people have shared of me with kids. I think a big problem... I don't want to say a problem in wrestling, but a problem in local wrestling is there's only so many people that parents want their kids looking up to. I come across as a very wholesome, nice girl next door because that's who I am. Because that's what you, that's yeah, right. Exactly. I'm not playing a character. It's the cornet. Turn it up to 11. This is who I am. I am the the all American. You know, worked my way up to be a college athlete. That is who I am. So I don't think I don't think being heel is even possible for me. I really don't. I now I I think you could do it. I think you might choose not to do it. You know I don't think I have the heart to do it. I really. really okay. So the day you turn heel, I'm gonna be there at ringside. Say I told you <laughs> so. You're gonna be waiting a while, but never say never. You know, it, it's funny. Um, obviously, Sam, you're going to be too young to remember this, but in in 90, I believe it was 91, uh, Ricky Morton turned heel in the early days of WCW after the Rock and Roll Express had split, you know, different contracts and all. He joined the uh, the York Foundation, which was the early days of 
big brick laptop where the computer analysis could help me become a better wrestler. Cause you know, back in the eighties and nineties, a floppy disc and, a, and an old computer could, could do anything in, in the world of fiction. And he went by, <coughs> excuse me. He went by the name Richard Morton, Richard Morton and was, was a heel, but he kept the same ring gear. He kind of wrestled the same style and the fans still liked him. And it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're heel on paper, but are you really, and I maybe uh, I'm thinking too literally, but I could picture that with you somewhere trying, you know, you going to another promotion, them trying to push a heel side. And it's just I mean, here's this this decorated collegiate athlete that's a down to earth, good person like, yeah, you're a heel. But are you really you know, this is a, a like I said, a, a, a Shawn Michaels, a heel sting kind of mentality where it's like it's just impossible to not still like you anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing about that is, though, the reason that happens is because you get invested in who the person is. That That's what happens when you're not playing a character. You're just who you are in wrestling. And that's the thing with Ricky Morton. He is who he says he is. So, you know, people want to present him as, as a heel or a face or whatever. He's Ricky Morton. You know, so nobody's like, oh, I'm supposed to boo him. He's just Ricky Morton. So people are going to cheer for him regardless. And I think that's my goal as well. I don't want to be, oh, she's the good guy. She's the bad guy. I want it to be that's Sam Street. I know who she is. I know what she's done. I like her because of who she is. You know, now that I think about it, it's kind of important because you're going to, I mean, even though you're going to be in, you know, four or five different states, conceivably the people who see you wrestle in North or South Carolina could see you wrestle in Tennessee or West Virginia. You do want to be consistent. Yeah. It, it yeah. gets confusing otherwise. I have fans that have come to shows for Wasp and Ring Wars, and Pure Pro, and BWC, they've been all over, and they know who I am, and they follow my stuff online, and that is another thing that makes it so special, is I am telling my real-life story. I show pictures of me when I was a little kid, and talking about how I used to dream about this, and then, you know, share my college background and all that, and so I'm able to tell my story through different companies, because these fans do get invested, which is very rare at an independent level. Correct. It's amazing. Well, let me have you. I want to kind of keep this going for a little bit. The the we talked about your your wrestlers, your impact, the, the current product. But you mentioned when I asked about your past watching past wrestling. Obviously, today it's significantly easier than it was when I was younger, or when Benny was was younger, and and the uh, old reels had to be delivered by horseback carriage. And if the Wells Fargo wagon was late that week, he wasn't watching his wrestling. And um, you know, I, I'm curious, do you when you watch the older tapes or even the current stuff, is there any kind of inspiration? Like you watch some of the older matches and go, wow, like, say, a Jerry Lawler or, or Ricky Steamboat and go, that works. I want to try something like that. And if you get that, it's part two of this question. If you get that, like, hey, I, I watched a, an old Jerry Lawler build on D match and this and this worked. Do you go back to BWC and say, hey, I, I saw this and this on an old tape. Do you think something we could train and try something like that? Or are you still just at the sponge stage of absorbing everything and maybe let let people teach you and, and go from there? So I've been watching this for years. So I've kind of been able to pick out favorites, pick out the eras that I like, the people that I like the best. But I, I definitely learn from everything. And I think in the sense of using moves and things like that, I absolutely learn what works move-wise. 
I think watching the old stuff originally, I had this mindset of what works with the crowd. But what I've learned is that crowds now are very different than they used to be. When you watch, when you watch older stuff, and I learned this when I, you know, kind of started watching history rather than current product. If you look at the crowd nowadays, they, they have shots where you can see the entrance ramp and crowd in front of the ramp. Every single person looking at that entrance ramp isn't looking at the ramp. They're looking at the ramp through their phone because they're recording what's happening as they're watching. In the old stuff, people were looking at what was happening. They were holding signs. The number of signs in crowds have decreased. So I think what I've had to do is learn the moves that are classic and the style that is so effective. But you have to find a way now to get people to put the phone down, which requires some evolving. And I think that's one area that complicates wrestling now. You want to do something that makes people put the phone down. You don't want people to worry about recording what's happening. They just want to see it. So that that leads me to another follow-up question because we're, we've had a number of female wrestlers from as, as early as the 60s. We, we've had uh, Tony Rose. We've had Princess Victoria, who is a uh, WWF tag team champion. Desiree Peterson, same thing. Back in the, back in the territory days, could, if, if say you were born instead of uh, 2000, I guess, what, 2002, maybe, or three? Okay, close. Um, you are born in 1963. Could you have seen yourself wrestling in the 70s and 80s in those territories, traveling from, you know, territory to territory? And I I mean, I think you would have done very well. So that's difficult to answer. Um, I talk to people like my grandparents and my aunts and things like that, and they tell me about how different it is living in the world now. And then they'll tell me about what life was like when they were little. And it's such like it's so mind blowing to me to think about how different everything was. And the way even like society was in the way that they saw wrestling. So I, I have no doubt that I, as a person in any era would have found my way to wrestling. But I think with the style being so different, it's almost hard to imagine, you know, because I wouldn't, I likely wouldn't have had the college background in the sixties. That wasn't really a thing that women had. So I would have kind of just had to, hop in and hope for the best, but I'm sure I would have found it. Well, I'm, I'm curious, I expand on that, actually follow up to that, Benny, something that we didn't see much of at all back in the sixties and seventies was intergender wrestling. Do you think, I mean, a lot of your style translates so well, men, women, whoever you're, you're going to, Literally, no no pun intended for, for a finishing move involving kicks, but you're going to kick their ass. Do you think, especially uh, some of the stories that have come from the struggles women had, would you have been okay in, in an era where you were in most cards just kind of an attraction and women's wrestling wasn't a real dedicated, serious thing in most parts of the country? I have to say yes. I think so, because at that time, it wasn't just an attraction. It was something I think male fans during that time saw it as an attraction. But for the women that were watching, it was this is my opportunity to see a woman doing something. So I think 
I think I would have been okay with it. But also, if you do, if you're put in an attraction spot, but you keep doing better than expected, that they have no choice but to stop making you just an attraction. Yeah, I could see that. You you would you would work towards bumping the card to the next level the way uh, like a Lalani Kai or somebody did at the time. A hundred percent. Yeah, that that's kind of. Like when I think about that, I put myself in that mindset. That's kind of what I see happening. I see myself being one of those people that was like, yeah, but like, let me fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wouldn't just, I, I would be happy with any opportunity as I am now. But at the same time, it's like, let's advance things a little bit. I I, I see that for me. It's well, funny because ahead, you, you mentioned your grandparents and I, I don't know how old they are. But I mean, I go back a little ways, even though, you know, it's hard to tell. But um, you know, when I was when I first discovered wrestling, I was 13, which was 1968. And you literally like when you went to school and talked about wrestling, there were very few kids who really it was kind of a secret society. You had to seek out the kids who liked <laughs> wrestling and then yeah. you'd hang out with them. And then when you saw one of the jocks come over, you'd have to change the subject to like whatever was on the school lunch. And yeah. It, the good thing about wrestling now, though, it is so much more widely accepted and you know, you can than it was then. And but you can be you can be proud to be a wrestling fan now, whereas then you kind of had to keep it to yourself. Kind of. I, I, I agree in the sense that it's more than it was. But believe it or not, when I was in school, it's it's so funny because I say this all the time. It shows like Monday Night Raw. They get so many views. But a lot of people like that were like in school with me, they never claimed to watch it. And then I did one day, I, I remember so distinctly, I was in the library with my friends and I started, I set up my phone cause I had finished my homework and I set up my phone and I started watching Raw from the night before. And the, I, I will never forget the look of shock that came uh, over these people's faces. It's we're like my best friends. And they were like, what are you watching? And then they would just, they're like, that's just, that's not something people watch. That's one of those stupid sports, this and that. I got into a big argument in the middle of the high school library with my best friends because I was like, I I remember just being so offended. I was like, I love this. Don't talk trash about it. It's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's accepted more because I would definitely see random kids walking around in like a Seth Rollins t-shirt. But at the same time, you know, when you claim to be a wrestling fan, they're like, oh, you're one of those. Right. So much. Well, I, I just turned 40 myself, and so I, I was in high school in the 90s at the peak of what would be considered the Attitude Era. So, I mean, it was not uncommon for you know, every other person to have an Austin 316 NWO shirt. They were everywhere when I was in school. So, I yeah. mean, I, I, I also remember as a kid, you know, Hulk Hogan and, and the Red and Yellow and the Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior, all those. The, and then, of course, you know little further south you saw like the, the four horsemen and, and those symbols yeah, that, that stuff was everywhere so that's one thing i i am glad about i mean obviously you can see what i'm wearing right now i am glad about merchandise because it's always nice going somewhere and somebody recognizes oh that's you know whoever or they say how oh, did you watch the, the the event this weekend or what do you think about smackdown or collision or whatever I, I like that that kind of unwritten bond that that wrestling fans have when you see the merch in the wild. For sure, for sure, that's super cool. That's super cool. And I think even like when I started watching wrestling as like eleven or twelve, I when I first started 
going out places and I would see like I saw a lot of Bullet Club shirts out ironically when I was out because I fell in love with Bullet Club very early I was an AJ Styles fan and once I started going through his history I was like oh what's that that's really cool and then anytime I would go out as like you know a a preteen and see a Bullet Club shirt I'd like run up to this person be like oh my gosh you know what this is that's so cool and they probably thought it was really weird because I was really young and like talking to him about a Bullet Club shirt but it made my day it made my day well, as we wrap up tonight, I mean, you talked about your future. You talked about your your plans. Where can where can our listeners uh, uh, on the podcast and then our, our friends on YouTube, where can they find Sam Street? Where, where can you be found on social media? Yeah, so on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, I am at Real Sam Street. And I well, post. Oh, my, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I post all of my updates, the show posters, anything like that. So it's all in the same spot. So as, as the BWC commissioner, I, I reserve the right to be the president of the Sam Street uh, fan club. And I even have a good name for it to be the street elite. I thought about that. I thought about uh, street fighters. I thought about, you know, I know this one's copyrighted. I thought about using Sam's Club there for a while. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Still working on it. I Got think some options there. Right. Street Fighters is the leading fan name at the moment. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Merch to come. I promise. Be- Be- Benny will write you a nice intro poem when the time comes. Absolutely. There we that's go. What, that's what I do. <laughs> Well, Betty, before we let Sam go, final thoughts and question to you. Anything? I, I mean, like I said, I see Sam, you know, many Sundays at BWC kicking people's butts. It was just so nice to actually chat with her. And, you know, I I just having watched wrestling for so many years, I really I, I'm, I'm I can't wait to see what the future holds for Sam. Absolutely. I I to the number of names and the talent that's gone through the BWC to hear people, Sam, to hear them call you the star pupil, I, I think is, is a compliment that cannot, you can't put a weight or value to when you think about the talent that's come and gone through those doors. Do they? I had, I had no idea that that was like, that that was the reputation I had. I had no idea. I had no idea. That's awesome. Especially in a place like that with so much history. That's really cool. I had no idea. Absolutely. And, and if you ever need to, uh, you know, may, maybe get get a get a match in your favor, uh, we might have an in with the commissioner here. What do you think, Benny? Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. ready to go. I'll keep that well, in mind. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, I, I look so I look forward to seeing where the future holds. I mean, 20 years old and one of the one of the bright young stars out there. Like we say, you know, looking forward to wrestling's future, celebrating its storied past, which I'm sure many years from now we'll be talking about. Oh, man, I remember seeing seeing having Sam on the podcast when she was, you know, just young and up and coming when when you're headlining shows many years from now, when when Betty and I are still uh, talking smack about wrestling back and forth. So I hope so. it, should, it should be a lot of fun. What was that? And she de- defeats Rhea Ripley for the uh, women's <laughs> championship. That's a big one, but honestly, that's my dream match. So I hope I can see that. Yeah. I hope so. I I like it. Well, 
for Sam Street and the BWC Bright Shining Star for the original Long Island Iced B, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Sebastiano. Thanks to our friends on YouTube, Monty and the Pharaoh. You can listen to us anywhere podcasts can be found. We're uh, Dan and Benny in the Ring, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.